Acts 15, 1 through 11. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some of the other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria. They told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, but he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of the Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. So, Acts 15. Interesting part of the story of the early believers. Um, we're going to go through that some, with, with some care here. But when I, when I read this story, uh, my, my mind does funny things when I'm thinking about messages. I, it jumps around to odd circumstances, which other people would not make the connection, but I do, okay? So when I was a very young man and I was in college, I was dating a young lady who later became my wife, um, who, whose family came from the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Any U.P. here? You know, Upper Peninsula, Johnny is, well, his family is, from the U.P. of Michigan. And I had not been dating her very long when she said, we need to go up to Ironwood, Michigan to visit my grandmother. And I thought, well, that's nice. She's a nice grandmother. Well, it turned out my daughter was the only granddaughter. And I learned later that it was important for grandmother to approve, if you know what I mean. She was a very sweet lady. Uh, she and her husband had emigrated from the Swede Finn part of Finland. Now, Swede Finn means there's a large number of Swedes who, I think, a couple hundred years ago or more, moved to Finland at the invitation to work in the industries in Finland. And there's still a large, if you will, colony of Swedes who live in Finland. But they, of course, over the many years, have picked up some of the attitudes and values and even some of the language and the words of, of the Swedes. So they're called Swede Finns. This is important, listen. All right, so, so the Swede Finns and the Finns and the Danish and the Germans and a bunch of other European countries supplied immigrants to the upper peninsula of Michigan to work in the mines and work in the logging industry. Now in this little town of Ironwood, which at the time I'm up there has now become quite small, there were Lutheran churches. There was the Swedish Lutheran church. There was the German Lutheran Church. There was the Danish Lutheran Church. There was the Swedefin Lutheran Church. You're getting it? <laughs> now, Grandpa Gust and Mary, they were Swedefins. And so they had their Swedefin Lutheran Church. By the time I show up there, 
as a potential boyfriend of her favorite and only granddaughter, uh, that little Swedefin church was really little. A couple dozen people, frankly, by her own statement, mostly old ladies. But grandma was not going to go to the Danish Lutheran church, the German Lutheran church, the Swedish. She only went to the Swedefin Lutheran church and insisted that the pastor from the other, one of the other churches would come and do services in their church. Now, Grandma was a wonderful, sweet Christian lady. She had her devotional corner in her house with her Swedish hymnal and Swedish Bible and a prayer list book that was big. If pressed, Grandma Forsman would agree that the Lutherans in the other church were okay, but she wasn't going there to have communion with them. It had to be in her own church. Now, as a, as a young man, I thought that was kind of humorous. You could tell. I, I, I thought that was kind of funny. But it's actually quite tragic, I think. In hindsight, such division among the people of God seems rather sad, doesn't it? Now, let's admit, in the beginning, there was a language problem. Swedish, Finnish, Swedish, Swedish, Finnish, that's different than Swedish, than Danish, you know. But by this time, it's just an attitude that, well, the people that are really okay in the family of God, really, really okay, are the Swede Finns or the German Finns, you know. It raises the question that I'm just going to spin around again, around and around this morning with you because it comes from Acts 15, really. Who do you really deeply believe is welcome as part of your Christian family? Who really is there? Now, we have a tendency to think of the first century believers as those people who lived this wonderful life of disciples of Jesus who had seen or heard of very recently of miracles and marvelous teaching, and some of them had actually been personal disciples of Jesus, and we tend to think of them as these wonderful Christian people who, who did everything right until we read the book of Acts. Jesus' people in the first century, like Jesus' people in the 21st century, have their, had their conflicts and divisions and wrong thinking and wrong behavior and problems. And they were real people. And one of the major problems among those very earliest followers of Jesus we find again and again in the book of Acts. From Pentecost Sunday, which we celebrated a few Sundays ago, from Pentecost on into where we're reading now, there were large numbers of non-Jews, called broadly Gentiles, who heard the good news of Jesus said, hey, this is for us. They accepted Christ as Savior and Lord and, and knew that they came by God's grace and mercy. And they said, this is amazing, this is wonderful. And large numbers of non-Jews, beginning on Pentecost, became part of, or at least they thought they were, part of the Christian family. We call it Christian, they didn't then. But there were some who said, oh, wait a minute, that's not quite right. And we read in the first verse, which Karen wrote for, read from us, from Acts 15, there were those who came to Antioch from the Jewish believers in Jerusalem and elsewhere, and they said, look, we're glad all you folks have decided to follow Jesus, but 
Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, if that statement had become the guiding principle of the Jesus movement, you and I wouldn't be here today. <laughs> it would have been a radical change. It's a huge issue. It's as much bigger than Swede Finns and German Lutherans not wanting to worship in the same building. This is saying that unless you're willing to become fully immersed in the laws, customs, and heritage of the Jews, you're not welcome among the disciples of Jesus. This is a fundamental issue. Let's sharpen the focus to us today. Who is welcome, really welcome, to be in our, your, close family of believers? Or does it refer to what we'll do later? Who is welcome to come to the table of Jesus this morning? Really? Now, there are two answers to this question. I'll just throw out the extremes. <laughs> For those who are vaguely religious, Christian in a broad sense, they don't have any major religious beliefs other than that there's a God who loves us and we, we should be good people and Jesus was a nice man. For those in the vaguely religious group, which is most of Americans, anyone should be able to do anything religious they want that makes them feel better. So communion table or anything else, if, you, if it makes you good, great, fine. At the other extreme, we have the very conservative people, the sort of modern version of the first century Pharisees. The Pharisees, remember, they had a very long list of beliefs and behaviors which were required to be accepted as one of God's people. And the Pharisees were a deeply committed set of people believed in the God of their heritage. They were very determined that any, they and anyone that they could influence would know who was in and who was out by, based on their behavior and their customs and so on. That's the Pharisees. The contemporary version of this, I think, are those who are deeply committed Christians who also have a very long list of beliefs and behaviors required to be really welcome in the family of God and invited to the table with them. Put it simply, live and believe as we tell you, be like us, or go away. Now, in those early days of the followers of Jesus, the question became again and again, do I have to really become a Jew to be one of Jesus' people and know that I have received eternal life? Do I really have to do that? Now, this, is, this sounds like a non-question to us, but you have to understand the situation. We tend not to pay much attention to this, but the fact is that Jesus was a Jew. And he was a Messiah of the Jews. And Jesus and all his first disciples were Jews. And Jesus came fulfilling the prophecies and the promises given to them. And the scriptures of what the Jews, what we call the Old Testament, was the word of God. And when Paul and, and others began to spread the good news of Jesus all around the Mediterranean by any means they could, where did they go first? They went to the synagogues and the gathering places of the Jews. And they first told the Jewish people that Jesus is their Messiah. And he showed them in the scriptures the prophecies that had pointed toward who he was and what God had done through his life, death, and resurrection. Christianity, if you will, was very, very Jewish in those first months and weeks. So this was a far more serious problem than whether immigrants from Finland could belong to the same Lutheran church as those from Sweden. 
Did Jesus come to be Messiah of the Jews and Savior and Lord of all people of every nation and heritage? And could people from all those different ethnic characteristics belong to my communion table group? Now, you have to recognize, too, this is partly a cultural problem with which we can kind of identify, I think, a little bit. I mean, I mean, these Gentiles that were coming to a living faith in Jesus, as they testified they were, these folks looked and dressed and sounded so different from the Jewish believers. Their languages were different. On Pentecost, how many languages did they speak to the disciples the gift of the Holy Spirit. A dozen? Their languages and their customs and their friendship circles were so different. I mean, they had friends that the Jewish believers would not want to associate with. And you and I can have these barriers too. Maybe not as big in our mind as the Jewish Gentile problem. I'll give you another silly illustration. My mind flips to a conversation I had with my dad. When I recognized God's call into pastoral ministry and began to go to school, preparing for that. My dad, who's also, who was a pastor in the Covenant Church for many years, one day I had to kind of talk with him. Dad, he said, Don, we got to talk about coffee. Said, you don't drink coffee? I said, yeah, I can't. I don't like it. It's too bitter. It doesn't taste good. He says, Don, the Covenant is pretty Swedish. The Swedes drink coffee. I think you need to learn to, to drink coffee. Now, we're laughing about it now, but he was kind of half serious about it because he had grown up in a very Swedish church where having coffee together was the sign of friendship and belonging. Now it's called having a fika. You know? Now, we've left the Swedishness of our denomination behind a long time ago, but you know, some of you really still think that if you're really going to be a friend, you're going to have coffee with me. Pastor Johnny often invites people to call him up and come have coffee with him, and he's not even Swedish. You know, we have cultural customs and and attitudes that secretly or sometimes even openly define for us who is truly a member of God's family and a member of our family. Foods, music, dress, language, personal histories, behaviors. We have lots of categories. the Pharisaic Christians came to the believers and said, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. You're out. Well, again, let's go back to that same issue. Were those first century believers truly right? I mean, did they have the core issue and we've missed it? The very best of the first century Pharisees, who were also believers, had lived lives of deep devotion and strict obedience to the rules of behavior that was intended to please God. And the believers among them, the believers in Jesus among them, were those who had welcomed the love and grace and forgiveness of God through faith in Jesus. And the basic truths of the word of God, the Old Testament is teaching, what we call the Old Testament, this was something they affirmed and claimed to believe the basic truths of God and his presence and work in the world was not in question for them. They were believers in Jesus and the eternal life that comes in him. 
their devotion and their commitment to careful living and speaking put to shame the haphazard lifestyles of many of the new Gentile believers. Those Gentile believers, many of them had no idea, never heard of the idea of behaving like the Jews in terms of their morality and family life and so on and so on. And some of these newbies to the faith, if you want to call them that, had some really serious moral problems in their family histories and in their own lives. And they had been idolaters, worshiping idols. The Pharisee believers thought these Gentile believers needed to get their act together (laughs) if they wanted to really be part of the church. They needed to learn how to behave right and think right and talk right. If they're going to receive the love and mercy of God, they needed to make some big changes, beginning with circumcision for the men. Were they right back then? Are they, is, are they right now? Well, suppose you grew up in a fine religious family along with your brother, and uh, this brother, he went crazy. I mean, he went out into the wild and wicked behavior. He went far away from home, and then he came home still pretty messed up and pretty ugly looking and confused, but he's looking for some help from dad's love and favor. And you, you stayed home, and you lived the narrow way, and you worked hard, and you earned, and you thought... Dad dad would approve of you and give you his blessing and then this kid shows up and he's a mess. Should you welcome this guy, this wild and crazy brother back into your family and into your own personal friendship? Should you do that? Read Luke chapter 15 where Jesus tells the parable of what I call the two lost sons. Acts 15 records a major pointing point, in other words, in the first life of the first century church, which has decisive impact on all that happened after them. Beginning with the response to Peter's message on Pentecost, again, as I said, large numbers of Gentiles, non-Jews, began flocking into the family of God in Jesus. I mean, they heard the good news. They heard that God is in love with them, that God is not dangerous, that there is one God and that he loves them and, and he has provided for them and he wants them to be close to him, them. He wants to be their close friend and companion and the one who encourages and cares for them and forgives them. Life with God as a loving father is now possible to everyone, they heard. Eternal life beyond the grave is freely available to those who will trust in Jesus. They heard this. Gentiles, people like you and me, were responding with great joy. They experienced God's love and grace and healing power again and again and again. And they joined in the happy work of telling their neighbors and their friends and their community all about this Jesus that these people were telling them about. And the first disciples of Jesus, Peter, John and later Paul and many others they brought this kind of good news all over then that part of the eastern Mediterranean area and there was great growth of non-Jews responding to the good news of Jesus but sadly right behind in some places where Paul and Peter and others had brought the good news of God's unbounded unconditional love for all people right Behind them came some bad news messengers from the conservative group in the church in Jerusalem saying, oh, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. A little bit too wide open here. It's not okay. And so there was this critical meaning in Jerusalem recorded in Acts 15. 
And recorded for us again is one of Peter's sermons. As I said earlier, it's not as long as some of the sermons earlier. Or his telling his own story of his seeing that the Gentiles were welcomed in chapters 10 and 11. There's a short statement. I don't know if we'd call it really a message or not, but a short statement. And that message ends with some very significant statements that we need to remember and take into our own lives and apply it to who we are and what we say about life. He said... God made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. We believe that it is by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ we are saved just as they are. The good news of Jesus is that we are forgiven, we are saved by simple, honest trust in Jesus and in him alone. The people of God are those who are convinced of his love and his mercy and committed to live in his grace with Jesus as Savior and Lord of every nationality, every ethnic, every personality, every language, every personal history. Jew and Gentile, Finn and Haitian, and any other category that we may devise or be comfortable with, all are invited to follow Jesus. Together. Now, I want to make clear, given the culture we have, which is so uh, amoral, this, this does mean, to follow Jesus, does mean that you will, your life will change. It is a new way of life to follow Jesus. His people do repent. They do read Psalm 51, as we read earlier, and take it to heart. They do learn to turn away from that which is offensive to God and harmful to other people. Conversion, repentance, commitment to new ways of living are what follows our beginning to experience the love and the grace of God. Jesus' people are a converted people, being changed, growing by the truth and grace of God at work in our lives and through our lives to other people. God is challenging us and giving us the freedom to put it simply, to be more and more like Jesus, who is our Savior and our Lord. So we come back to the basic question. Who really belongs here at the table of Jesus, celebrating God's forgiveness and grace? Sharpen it. Who really belongs to my family of faith? We talked earlier this summer about what we call the disciples of the Lord's Prayer. It begins with our Father. And I said then, who's included in your our Father? It is not those who merely have nice religious thoughts and feelings about God and Jesus who are welcome at the table. It is those who know that God has come to us in Jesus who come by trust in his love and grace and want to keep learning to live for him. The people of God are convinced of the truth of Jesus and are committed to him. They know about his suffering, death, and resurrection. They know that by their trust in God's work in Jesus, they are invited, not demanded, but invited to enter the family of God. They know and they trust in the truth that is only by God's grace 
that they are sure that they are being given eternal life. God's people of any race or ethnicity or personality or cultural choice know they are receiving in Jesus the gift of eternal life. Again, the question, who is truly a member of God's family? Who belongs at this table with us this morning? Answer, all who humbly put their trust in Jesus. All who humbly put their trust in Jesus. We are welcome here. You are welcome here. Not because we're Americans or Germans or Thais or Haitians or French or whatever category. Only because we are convinced and we're committed to be followers of Jesus, living under his work of the Holy Spirit and growing in his grace and his mercy. That's why we're welcome. And so I say, as I've said before, come with me to the table. Not because we have any claim on heaven's rewards, but because we stand in constant need of God's mercy and help. We come just as we are, along with any and all who are believers in the good news of Jesus and committed to live for him. We are welcome. Let us pray. We give you thanks, God, for the amazing and wonderful and astounding gift of your grace and mercy and love in Jesus. It is amazing to me that you have welcomed me into your family. I, I, don't know, I don't know why you've done that. I don't deserve to be at this table. Only by your grace and your mercy and the constant work of your Holy Spirit am I or any of us able and free to come to this table to receive these gifts that present to us the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus and allow us to say yes Today, I am a member of the family of God and for all eternity. In Christ's name, I celebrate. Amen.